0: Hello. I'm going to start it off with a quick content warning for you guys. This episode contains material that may be traumatizing to some of you. It's all peace and love, though. We're going to start in three, two, one. I reported sexual harassment within the bar, and I was fired the next day.
1: This is take two. Is take two.
0: The amount of times that I have contemplated like shaving my head because I hate my baby hair. You see this? Yeah, hate it. I used to shave that. No. No, I used to. Ah, you used to. I was told not to. Yeah, no, my mom's a hairdresser. She killed me, but... Yeah. The one time that I got absolutely murdered by a hairdresser was when I was nine years old and I had, you know, those like braid thingies. Yeah. And I was quite an impatient child. And uh, I remember going, ma, I want this off. I want this off. Now, now. Deb, I'll come down whatever time. like, listen, if you're not going to come down, like within this, uh, I wouldn't like snap or anything, but in my head, I'm like, two minutes for me felt like half an hour. I had no concept of time. I was like, look, if you want, I can do it myself. She's like, you know how? I'm like, yeah, of course I know how. You cut it off. (laughs) Oh my gosh, and he had a little spike hanging out. I before. was fucking tweety. <laughs> I was tweety for such a long time. It like it was like bang in the middle of my head, like yeah. like that. There you go. Uh, so after that, I never pulled a pair of scissors over to um, my head or anything. I haven't cut my hair in so long. I caught
2: one of my little sisters. So my little sister had like really, really small, like fine hair but really short like it wouldn't grow yeah but she finally had hair long enough to put pigtails in oh i cut one of the pigtails off when we were like five (laughs) why why because i wanted to play hairdresser my mom was a hairdresser so i was like
0: yeah yeah that's a really good (laughs) scissors what else we had that um i also in the middle of lockdown decided that i was done with like really long hair i always just grow it out then cut it grow it out whatever got my girlfriend to do so i was thinking i'll donate my hair right so <laughs> my ponytail was not uh thick enough to be donated so then i looked like no. dumbass for so long finally grew it out like now my hair is yeah. like long again but yeah she cried <laughs> mm-hmm. oh. anyways how are you sam i'm good i'm good I'm- happy birthday Thank you. You're welcome. When this comes out, it would be like two months after your birthday. It's but all right. I'll still be celebrating. <laughs> we'll celebrate Happy birthday anyways. Uh, how was it? It was
2: good. It was really good. It was, yeah, I usually make my birthday like a really big thing anyway, but it was, I was like really nervous for this birthday because it was my first birthday at home mm. and a lot of my friends who I would have celebrated at home, like weren't here, like traveling or whatever. So I was like really, really worried that like no one was going to show up. <laughs> But had the best time. Thank you for yeah. celebrating it with me. You're
0: welcome. Yeah. I think, <clears throat> Jesus, growth spurt, puberty. Um, was it kind of like new friends that you had over for your birthday the same?
2: Yeah. A lot of my friends, like, we're all like high school friends and stuff like that. So I am going to use American terms throughout this conversation.
0: Yeah. You- <laughs> <laughs> we'll get into that.
2: Yeah. Um, but they're all like high school friends who like, as we know, like our, our school friends, like you grow You'll always have a place in your heart for them, but you grow apart, you're different people, you have different interests and stuff like that. So like little child, me was definitely disappointed that someone didn't show up, but like, it was also great to see all these like new, new friends and new people, and new experiences
0: mm. throughout
2: the week as well. So
0: do you have like any issue with sometimes like letting go of the post? <laughs> Yeah. How do you know? (laughs) No, no, no. We're just going to like chit chat about it. So basically like with me, I never really got into a friend group growing up. I I didn't like the school I was sent to. So I was sent to an all girls Catholic school and never had the friend group. Never had it. So when it came to like making friends and friendship, I think this is like the new chapter of my life where like, I connected with you and I'm just making friends all of a sudden and we'll definitely get into the topic of friendship, but it's a weird one because I look back on my childhood and being a teenager, like, ah, oh. sometimes it's like a bit spiteful, if that makes sense, where I, I just get a little bit angry and I have a little bit of uh, issues with letting go of that hurt. Yeah. What about you?
2: Yeah. I know I feel like, well, actually it's interesting because I have kind of two sides of it. Um, I do struggle with like, I, you know, I remember the things that have happened. Like I, similarly, I didn't have a constant friend group growing up, nor a large one. Mm. Um, And I kind of jumped from kind of friend group to friend group to kind of like find where I fit in. Cause I just couldn't like, I didn't, I didn't understand me. So I was trying to figure out where I fit into the whole thing. Um, and I just had a lot of issues with friends, but when I left Ireland and came home, I was like, I'm giving these people who I know have hurt me in the past and have, you know, I've held grudges against maybe previously, I'm giving them a clean slate and how they act with me now. Mm. is how I'm going to accept them, not what they did when they were 17 or 14 or whatever. Because I was moving home to all of these people who I did grow up with. yeah. Um, And there's been circumstances where I've met people who like have hugely hurt me in the past. And, you know, they've either apologized or kind of not really acknowledged it, but have shown me that they've grown and that they've been good people. And then there's other people who have just kind of snubbed me and walked away. And I'm like, okay, like I am now accepting you as you are at this stage in your life, not what happened with us
0: 10 years ago. 10 years ago. I know that's the strange thing. It's like when you look at these people on Instagram or whatever, you're like, ah, you're, I still go like, I think of you as the same way that like when we were 17 or 16, but as much as I have grown, I'm sure they have grown yeah. or I hope. So it's kind of like understanding, like, yeah, like we all grew up. Well, that's it. Like,
2: I wouldn't want someone to look at me and yeah. and react to me how I, how I was at 16, 17, mm. you know, because I'm definitely not like, I had to do a lot of growth and I had to do a lot of things for myself and I'm definitely not the same person nor like, I'm a really proud of the person that I was then, mm. you know, so like I would like people to extend me the same opportunity to show them who I've become and who I am now than yeah. passing judgment on me and just being like, okay, that's sound like there's, you know, the problems in the past and that's who they are and that's yeah. it. What were you like as a teen? Oh, Um troubled. I struggled with my mental health a lot, which I now understand now. Um, but
0: back then it kind of felt like I was a bit off the rails. Yeah. Like, like, were you like crazy, can't be tamed or were you just like internally, like your mind was going left, right and center? Both. So what
2: happened was I got into secondary school and I was this like very, very quiet, very innocent, like just really, really wanted to make friends with people. Um, just like this, like small little girl, and then in first year, I was extremely bullied. Mm. Um, I'm a crybaby, oh. proud of it, okay. still to this day, but people, you know, found that out pretty quickly about me in school and used it to their advantage. Okay. And in first year, I was hopped and attacked like outside the school. Stop, and it like it literally only lasted like 30 seconds, and it wasn't like really, really physically hurt but like it impacted me from there on out yeah and what had happened was I came back into second year and I was a completely different person I was like people have walked over me because I've been so quiet and I've been so tame and timid now I'm going to show them like they can't fuck with me okay like yeah and that's kind of what happened and from second to sixth year I was like I just can't wait to get out of this school yeah I hate so, this yeah I hate this so like imagine you know a teenager walking around like I hate going into school every day I wasn't exactly a nice person to, no 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 uh-huh.
0: to like, be around. not all the time but yeah, like. yeah, yeah. you were probably I'm not saying you were probably but it's kind of like oh Sam's nice once you get to know her or that
2: but or also yeah. I was just extremely defensive. You know, if anyone said anything that was like the slightest way of even making fun of me or anything like that, I'd be like, what did you say? Like, <laughs> <laughs> where you are you <laughs> I wasn't like, I'd never get to the point that I would like be aggressive or anything, but I just like. Confrontation. Yeah. Verbally, I was just like, like, just I, I wasn't letting myself be put in that position wow. again. Yeah. But the thing was, I was continuously bullied throughout mm. school.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, I was thinking about this the other day. Like I was bullied in. Secondary school because I was, I, like my family all have really, really dark hair. Okay. um And I was bullied for years because I, my arms are really hairy. Like if I forgot to shave my armpits, like the, it was like really visible and dark and stuff like that. So when I was 17, I went and I lasered yeah every inch of my body from my head to my toe, jeez which is now kind of ironic because now I grow my armpits out and you can't even see them, but like well the laser treatment points. yeah <laughs> but it's the impact that those things have like and like I made a huge decision you know to do that to my body because other people were saying like this is not okay where now I'm like I wish I just learned to love that part of myself mm, yeah. and not listen and care about the judgment of I know
0: it's a tough one eh yeah like obviously back home like we we're all Mediterranean so like the bullying would have been a little bit different and would have been more like um Based on what you have done, like if you kiss some guy, that's some person, it was always like love related, taboo related as well. Yeah. Um, Our language was also very limited too, in fairness. So like I was making fun of myself pre coming out so like before i even knew what a lesbian was i was calling myself a lesbian and being like ew i look gross i look like a lesbian (laughs) homophobia, such bad internal homophobia but it's bad like for nearly everything you know um so obviously after school then you moved out and went to college after no after to new york after college yeah
1: or, yeah, Yeah. See. so I,
2: I did college, I did my last exam yeah. in college and I moved to New York the next day. Mm. Um. And I say that, and I always say that when I start the story, because I literally, from that time in first year when I was bullied, I was like, I'm getting out of this country. So it was okay. like, I literally powered through, like, yeah, did the me. leave insert, did everything, did college,
0: and then I was like, bouncing. Yeah, away. that's what I did as well, actually. Uh, undergrad finished that, and then twenty one. I like, just did the summer, yeah. Like I had because my my strategy was different. My parents were slightly a bit more strict, so it was like you're gonna go to like another country for a reason. My reason had to be a master's degree, mm, yeah, because I wasn't gonna be like whoop doo. I'm gonna just like move. So yeah, that was it. Twenty one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Carry so, on, New yeah. York. No, yeah. So I I moved when I was twenty one.
2: Um, moved over to New York, didn't know anyone, didn't know, didn't have a job set up, didn't have an apartment, like didn't have anything. I was just in that like 21 year old mindset, like I'll figure it out. Okay. And I did. How did you figure it out? So like,
0: let's go back to the basics for anyone that wants to.
2: (laughs) Well, I was very lucky that I had a family friend to stay with for the first couple of weeks. Okay. Um, so I stayed with them and I basically walked around Times Square, went into every single Irish bar that I could see okay. and be like, hey, I'm Irish. Like I, I hadn't bartended before, but I'd worked in whiskey. So I was like, I, that's all I said. I was like, I may not know how to bartend, but I'm a very quick learner. But I could talk to you about whiskey all day.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And I went into four bars. The third bar, the host was also Irish. And she was like, I'm going to stop you right here. Like, you're not going to be able to find a job. She was like, I looked for a job for like four months. Like I can't, I couldn't find anything. And now I'm like a host, which is like the least paid position, like at the front of the house anyway. And uh, the next bar that I went into, he was like, can you start tomorrow? Shit. And I was like, yeah, okay. And like, I was literally just thrown in. Yeah. Like, but I, like, I got the job as quick as I, or sorry, lost the job as quick as I got it. Really? Carry That's on. kind Why? of how New York is like right. it's the there's so there's so many workers that like basically what happened was I got food poisoning I actually had come in on the day because everyone had warned me like do not call in sick because if you call in sick you're gonna lose your job you're out um but I so I came in on the day and I literally was like running to and from the bathroom and I was like I can't serve here like I can't stay here so I went home sick And I was sick the following day. Then I think I came back in and he like made me come in, put on my uniform, got behind the bar and then fired me like visibly in front of the whole bar. What? And I remember like, it was so, like, it was so typical, like, like movie moment. Like I was running through Times Square on the phone to my sister who lives in LA and I was like, what am I going to do? Like I lost this job. Like that's how I pay my rent. Like, you know, I obviously like knew I could get a job quicker as well. But it was like that moment where I was like, all I have is money in my bank account. Mm. You know, like I didn't move over with that much. Yeah. So I was like, I didn't have much of a fallback. So I was like, I am screwed. Um, but then, you know, got another bar job a few weeks later. Um, and ended up getting a bar job. That was like one of my dream positions and learned so much there, learned so much about cocktails, everything, which like, you know, now that I, yeah. I love, I'm very interested in. Um, but unfortunately was, I reported sexual harassment within the bar and I was fired the next day. Jesus. Yes. Okay. So that is how I got into working. Yeah in the volunteering work that I do. Cause I started, so I got fired for sexual harassment and you can imagine how angry I was. Yeah. Cause I was like, why am I the one that was fired?
0: And I, I reported like, it. Like, yeah, I, I
2: reported it. it. Like, but the, the thing is in hospitality, I think, especially in New York, it's like, if you're going to be a problem, mm. so okay. if you don't keep your head down, if you call into sick to work, if you don't do basically what they want you to do, you're out.
1: Mm.
0: I see.
2: You're just a number okay you know um so I was furious I was fuming and I was like surely that there's like something that like transpires in sexual harassment you know like there's so many different things that are just like it's this is okay this is not
0: blah, blah blah I was like if there's nothing I'll create my own did you were you always like that though did you always like think big in a charitable way um
2: yeah like okay. I like when I was a kid, everyone would ask me, like, what do I want to do? Yeah. And the only answer that I had was I want to help people. Okay. Wow. And I could never tell, like, I remember talking to someone, they were like, but you can't just say that. Like, what do you want to do? And I was like, I don't know.
1: No, I I just want to help people.
2: I'll, I'll figure this out. Okay. Yeah. Um. But I found uh, Outsmart New York, which is a organization that works on the prevention of sexual violence violence within nightlife. mm so I started training bars in sexual harassment, and it was the, one of the most like it was the, my very first time volunteering like as an adult, and it was one of the most like remor- rewarding things that yeah. I've ever done probably yeah until
0: like who knows what's <laughs> yeah. the, like next in store. But for like you.
2: volunteering now, I know is like has to be a part of my life. Like it's mm-hmm. something that I need to to like feed myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started working with Outsmart and then they had reached out to me and they were like, Hey, we have this sister company that's called the Crime Victims Treatment Centre. Yeah, And they do this program that they basically train you in for a month and you volunteer as an advocate to victims of sexual or domestic violence that end up in the emergency room because most of those victims or survivors end up by themselves in the emergency room in that position. Okay. So for two years I volunteered. I gave uh 12 hour or sorry, two 12-hour shifts a month um for two years to be on call that if someone ended up in the emergency room due to those circumstances, I would go in and help them. Yeah. What
0: was that like for you? Um it was
2: I was very cautious when I was going into it because and a lot of people had kind of said to me, like There's a lot to take on. Like it's other people's trauma. You might get secondhand, you know, uh, traumatized and stuff like that. And I was very cautious going into it. And honestly, it was healing for me to be able to help people in those moments Mm -hmm. that they had no one else. Like it takes a huge amount of courage to get to the emergency room after something like that happens to you. Um. And to even sit and talk about it and stuff like that. And to kind of see the people who I was dealing with, because it's a lot of, a lot of people presume that a lot of the victims that I was dealing with were, are like females, young females. Like, yeah. like a lot of the people, a lot of the survivors were, you know, an older man, you know, like a young kid. Like there's just so many different aspects of it. Um, but like the fact that I was able to go in and help Healed me because I have a lot of trauma that I've dealt with that I haven't had that person there, okay, to do that. Yeah, and I remember one of the um people had said to me, they were like, "I they were like, "I, I won't remember your name, like there's just too much going on right now. now, but like you are mm-hmm. my guard, my my guardian angel, to yeah." Like. And it was doing simple things like, "Hey, do you need a glass of water?" Yeah. Like, do you need space for five minutes? Do you need everyone to leave you alone? Okay, then I can tell everyone to, to, fuck, off. to, to yeah. fuck off. Like literally. Okay. Yeah. Like I get you. If my my priority was the survivor, whereas everyone else is doing their job. So like mm-hmm. the doctors are trying to get the tests done, the police show up and they're trying to get the statements and stuff like that. Whereas like I it was the first time ever that I'd had to stand and fight with authority
0: figures. Yeah. I can imagine it. Eh? Because like they it's such a tough thing to navigate because they need to get their questions like yeah. written down. And sometimes they also don't know how to go about it. We're like, give us a name <laughs> or uh-huh.
2: that. But there's also a presumption that like the survivors want to report. Yeah. You know, frustration. Or, as yeah. Well. Mm-hmm. You know, like a lot of, I think, I think the authorities and like the doctors and everything should be trained in a way that it's like, look, if... The victim comes into the emergency room and decides that they actually don't want to report, that's okay. And that is okay. Like, you don't, If I want to make it clear now because it's one thing that I didn't know. If you go to the emergency room after an assault, you don't, like, it's not a mandatory report. Oh. So the doctors can take care of you, they can do the tests and stuff like that, but the police do not automatically show up. Mm. Whereas a lot of people think that when they show up there,
0: they're going to have to
2: do it. Immediately they have to talk to the police. They have to do this. And you know, like it's a huge, huge weight taken off of you that it's like, you can do the kits that need to be done, but you don't have to sit in the police department for hours mm. and be like, this is what went on. This is the person that did it to me. It's just, you have that there. You have the evidence there if you I need it. Too if you do decide anyway, so
0: what's a productive way though, to not use your past experiences and your trauma, but uh, I think a lot of people kind of sometimes feel a bit helpless on how to navigate this space. And I feel like volunteering and said things isn't an option that pops up in people's heads where it's like, Oh, let me, do something on social media instead or a campaign, which of course is amazing. Yeah. But people forget about the fact that you can volunteer and you can be not like a silent helper, but. Well, that's, yeah, that's, I think with the, like the, the
2: capitalist society, it's like, you know, I want to help, but like, like a lot of people said to me, like you do that for free. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, well, yeah, like (laughs) people need help. Like I'm not going to, you know, try to make money off of it or, you know, as well, like I don't like really broadcasting it. The only, the only reason why I share what I do is to educate everyone Mm -hmm. else. It's not like, oh, look at me. This is like, I volunteer my time here. Like, and that's a huge, like so many, like there's very, very few people who know that's what I like my volunteering on the side is. Mm -hmm. So when I moved home, I had thought about reaching out to the rape crisis center in Dublin and I had it on my to-do list for ages. Cause I was like, I really want to do it. Like I really want to see if they have the same volunteering program, if I can do something. And it just happened that when they were having culture night this year, they had seen Sam's collective and they're like, Hey, do you want to perform for culture night? And I was like, <laughs> I was like, I was going to text you and you text me. Like it was this huge moment that it was like, it's such an alignment. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I'm able to volunteer and help them with
0: like other things now, so it's great. So, is it more like similar to what you were doing in New York, or is it more like an admin?
2: It's more uh,
0: so they're doing a new
2: consent campaign, mm. which is changing the way that Irish people talk about consent. Okay. Um. Because right now, as of like as of now, people kind of say like, "Yes, there's an issue with consent." but it's not my problem, so I'm not going to do anything. Or I don't have an issue with it, so I'm mm. not going to do anything. Mm. And that's just not going to change.
0: The, that's not going to change or do what we need it to do. Okay, let's take it a step back. What is the culture about consent right now in Ireland?
2: Is It's basically like, consent is a dirty word. Okay. Um, If I mention consent, people are like, oh, well, I want to get out of this conversation. Um, It's, you know, there are, few people that I've spoken to and they're like oh yeah I'll always ask for consent like sexually or otherwise like when I go for a hug for someone I go can I hug you mm-hmm. you know like you're asking for their consent but a lot of people don't realize that you can do it outside of like sexual settings
0: yeah you
2: yeah. know and it's nice because it's like hey like can I can, like when you automatically grab someone like some people might not feel comfortable with like that physical touch okay so it's like oh sorry like I grabbed you there like is it okay that I do that Mm, mm. and checking in with others but also like checking in with yourself is a huge thing so they're basically their con- new consent campaign is about talking basically the uh, whole idea is about getting everyone comfortable talking about consent Okay.
0: Um, but I think it's right- because it's the sexual side of it that makes people yeah. uncomfortable that's literally it because like we're not o- openly talking about sex and stuff
2: yeah it is and I, I had a chat with someone yesterday that they were like as well as uh, bringing up the idea of consent, and you know, there is one side of it where people will be like, "Oh, like maybe that experience wasn't consensual," you know, and there was something happening there. Then it like that kind of triggers them. But then there is also the other side of it that the the perpetrators go, "Shit, like I I didn't ask for consent. Mm. Like maybe that was assault. Like, mm. and where you know that's such a difficult conversation because it's like these are." the perpetrators but they don't understand it so it's like where where does that conversation go where do they go to talk about it to be like I think I might have assaulted someone like it's crazy yeah um but that's the whole thing the whole point of this new campaign and they're at the very very beginning of it now is to just talk about consent okay and like us now talking about it like I hope that you go home and like you know when you hug someone next be like hey like what well, was it okay that I hugged you, or can I hug you? you yeah, know, like those type of things, and it makes you really, really aware of how
0: much you do it in your daily life. Mm-hmm. I usually go into fist bump someone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a, I go in for that one first. Yeah, and then yeah, I get that. No, that's a very true, eh? Because probably yeah, again, people talk about this in like a sexual way nonstop. So it's about like hugging. How do you say goodbye? I think a lot of people as well have a lot of social anxiety where they. I think even if you were to reframe it in such a way where like oh I'm a bit like do I hug them when I say goodbye I'm overthinking that sort of thing now it's like oh can I hug you Well
2: that's what I'm yeah
0: are you a hugger yeah mm.
2: and like I well I think that COVID helped that like in regards to, I know it does
0: like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. a lot of introverts actually like were are super happy about that where it's like no I don't get to hug anyone yeah. now <laughs> yeah
2: but like that's what I'm saying like when you when you separate like sex from consent like there is other situations like that that Mm -hmm. it's like the socially introverted people who don't want to like hug you or touch you or you know people who feel overstimulated when their skin is touched or things like that you know
0: um it's just okay it's in every day yeah yeah we're learning a lot right now let's go back to new york you were living there for four years right yes so this all happened first of all how the fuck did you stay in new york for four years like with visa issues and all that I have dual citizenship. Do you? Mm. Mm. Yeah. I'm one of those. You lucky boss. You. <laughs> uh, who's the Yank? <laughs> so mom or dad. Oh, it's your dad? Neither. No, neither. What? Um, so my
2: great-granddad was in the American Army. <laughs> okay. We're all Irish, right? So he he got went into the American Army and in return he got citizenship. American citizenship. Okay. So this was my granddad's dad. Whoa. So when my mom and her siblings were kids, my Nana actually figured it out because like he had just got the passport and left it there and like didn't think twice about it. Whereas like my, when my Nana and Granddad had a family, they were like, it was just a shitty time in Ireland. And they were like, it's time for us to start thinking about going to the States and stuff like that. And my Nana had actually found out that everyone was um, entitled to a citizenship through my great granddad. Great. And when we were born, it was the same. Okay. Now it's not the same. Like if I had a kid, like I'd have to have, have it in America. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, like they wouldn't be entitled to it. It's my great, 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 great. Yeah. <laughs> Just keep the um, going. But it's not like that anymore. Like, like it's I, you know, technically I'm like, so, say if I had a child, like mm. I'm American. Oh. You know, like through the citizenship.
0: That's weird. Yeah. But do you anyway. have an
2: American passport now or an Irish one? Both. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So that's how I got over there, and that's how I stayed over there. Yeah. Um, I literally, like, there was no, nothing,
0: like, no issues, nothing. Nothing, just walked through the airport and moved over there. Stop. Yeah. I would have thought at least you'd have to sign one paper.
2: No, like, they definitely stopped <laughs> me at immigration, and they stopped me at immigration every single time because yeah. I was flying back to America with no return flight, and I had a very distinctive Irish accent. So they, mm. like, I'd be at immigration, and they'd be like,
1: <laughs> come on. <laughs>
2: And I'm like, no, no, no! Like this is where I live. Like I've been living in New York for a few years. Like, yeah. Um. But yeah, so I have dual citizenship. All my family does. My my sister currently lives in LA.
1: Yeah,
2: has lived there for eleven years and carry all that. the passport, like, You know, yeah, American babies, grand. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, that's why I had no issue getting a job and stuff like that. Which is like, I feel bad because a lot of people come to me and they're like, how did you do it? Like, <laughs> tell me about the visa process. I'm like, <laughs> sorry. I can't.
0: <laughs> I'm not the right influencer to yeah. get you up with this. <laughs> There's no sources in my life." Yeah. But, okay. All right. Yeah. So citizenship. Where were you living
2: in New York? So I was living in Brooklyn. When I first moved over to New York, I was like, I'm not living anywhere but Manhattan. Mm. I was like, I'm living in Manhattan. I'm living like the... New York like dream. Yeah. I'm uh, living there. got to New York. I was like, there's no way I can afford Manhattan. So I moved (laughs) out to Brooklyn and I tell you now, like I would not live anywhere other than Brooklyn. Okay. In New York. Like it was my favorite place.
0: What's the pricing like between New York and Dublin? It's the same. Really?
2: Yeah, it's exactly the same. And the issue is like you make so much more money in New York. As a
0: bartender, right? You well, yeah,
2: as a bartender, or but just like, like, like uh, as a bartender, I could you know, I could make, you know, a quarter, half of my rent in one night oh. in New York because of tips and because um, of tips and the way that it is and stuff like that. And it's so it's like, I was never at a point that I couldn't afford my rent. Whereas I come here and I'm like, how do I, how can I afford the prices that I, you know, I was paying, but yeah. I'm not making the same amount of money. I know. I know. I think Dublin got
0: really pricey. <laughs> you think? <laughs> I know. No, but it's so weird. That's what I was saying the other day. I'm like, I've, I've struggled so hard to find a friend group and all that. But now having friends is pricey because whenever you go out, you're like, where's my money going? This is yeah. like 200 euros a night. Well, that's, oh, in New York, like
2: I, I would have always said, like from the second that you leave the door to the second you come home, like it depends on what you're doing throughout the day, but your minimum spend, you're spending 50 bucks. Okay. Like, yeah, it's just as it, like how it is, because the thing is as well, when you leave the house, Mm. like you're not coming home until you're going home to bed. Like, yeah, you're, you're going out, you're going to work, you're going to do whatever it is you want to do after work or whatever. Yeah, So like living, there's like 50 euros, uh, dollars a day. It's like minimum $50 a day. Yeah. And that's like, you know, my $6 coffee, like, you know, your bacon, egg and cheese that you get, like when you're walking out, like a lot of it, it's all takeout. Like no one makes food at home over there. Why? Because you don't, you're never at home. Oh. You know, you're never at home, but also
0: like the variety of food there is Is. is oh, it's insane. Oh, stop. Like, don't get me on a rant <laughs> about Dublin food, honestly. I miss home so much just because of the food. You know how grumpy I get where I'm just like, listen, all I want is something light <laughs> yet filling and savoury. Yeah. Don't come to me with these stupid ass sausage rolls that have been fucking <laughs> defrosted this morning. They're disgusting. Vegan sausage rolls. Disgusting. Not only that though, I yep. feel like the Irish palate is so bland. Yeah.
2: and soup. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like the soup tastes the exact same no matter rolling like soup. what flavour it is. Like,
0: <laughs> Get a soggy Yorkshire pudding <laughs> up your ass. Fuck.
2: So I came home and I when I was living in New York, the last place that I was living in was like a Spanish Latin neighborhood. So like the food was oh, unbelievable. Like yeah. tacos were amazing, like yeah. burritos amazing. I came home and like bakingly <laughs> ordered a burrito. <laughs> At like one of, the, one of the pubs that like I just go to and I swear to God like I was like there's nothing like there might be food in this. I was like it all tastes the same. Where's this house? Like the different pieces like just taste exactly the same. There's no spices. No. There's nothing. Like I ate two bites of it and I was like why did I order this? <laughs> was, what do you order so now? What's your go-to order? My, my go-to order now I'm still kind of stuck on the like the Irish food that I missed. So I know we're just talking like shit about Irish food, but like when I went to New York, like I missed like a proper fry, like bacon, sausages, sausages in America are vile, like breakfast sausages. Okay. Disgusting. Um, and I'm like, now I go for like fish and chips or like stuff like that. Like
0: I, I'm kind of still stuck on those like things that I missed for so long. Okay. Um, but, yeah was the food like was it hard to eat healthy there?
2: No, I think it was a lot easier because there's a lot of easier options, so like i don't I don't know if we've had this conversation but sushi, right? Yeah. I never touched sushi or like you would never catch me touching raw fish in my life before I left here. like mm. I was the pickiest eater ever. And within the first month, one of my friends had invited me to their birthday party, which is at this like Hawaiian restaurant. And I was like, the only Hawaiian food I know is like Hawaiian (laughs) pizzas. I'm not eating
1: no
0: pineapple on fucking burgery.
2: Are you not a pineapple on pizza thing?
1: No.
0: I love pineapple. Oh, you fuck off. (laughs) It's disgusting.
2: Anyway, I went and we sat around this table of, you know, there was like 15 people there. And they all just ordered these like small plates Hmm. and it was like, you know, octopus legs and like all of these different pieces of like seafood and stuff like that, that I would have never, ever tried in my life. Like, and because I was sitting around this table of 15 people who were all eating it, I was like, peer pressure. Can't be the picky
0: eater. (laughs) And
2: you just grow grow up, son. (laughs) Yeah. And I swear to God, like it was within that first month that I was like, I just have to, I have to do it. Like I Mm -hmm. can't say no. Yeah. And I started eating it and it was Delicious, and from there on out, like everywhere I went, like I wanted to try the newest food place. I became obsessed with sushi. Like I am in love with sushi, mm-hmm. um, and all of those places were healthier because, like, the food in Ireland, the the takeout places are very similar. You know, if you go to a Pub, it's all the same food. Yeah, 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 you know, it's chips and a burger or whatever. But like, if you go to like a sushi place. Mm. There's huge, like a huge amount of healthy options. There's like salad places. There's all these different things, and it's just like you can actually eat well while getting takeout.
0: Yeah, like you, if you want to, you could.
2: Yeah, if you if you want to get fast food all day, like you can do that too. But like, it was more accessible
0: mm. to do that. I see. All right.
2: How did you make friends in New York? It was hard. Um, I remember when I first went, I was like, okay, I'll go to pubs. I'll, you know, because as an Irish person, that's our social scene. Mm-hmm. You know, when you go out, you're going out to drink. Yeah. Yeah. And you're going to the
0: smokers area.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um. So I didn't know anyone and I was like, okay, let me just go to pubs by myself and stuff like that. But I found myself finding these people who, were people who you find in pubs and bars, you know, like they weren't genuine friends. Like they were just people who wanted to party and stuff like that, who were great for the first, you know, period of time when I didn't really, I didn't know anyone. So I just needed to fill the time, fill the space. Mm-hmm. But after a while I had that conversation with someone, I was like, why can't I find genuine friends and genuine people? And they're like, cause you're looking in the wrong places. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, <laughs> I was like, I get it now. Yeah, And I started exploring like the arts scene. Okay. Um, one of my friends who I'd worked with worked or was heavily in the burlesque
0: scene in New York which was the beginning of my like artsy you are such an interesting character <laughs> like uh, I I really appreciate the fact that you just go okay I'm not making friends at the pub burlesque <laughs>
2: <laughs> Well I had done like I was like I loved like I went to like poetry things and stuff like that yeah. but burlesque was the one that stuck yeah and One of my friends brought me to the burlesque show and I was like, this is amazing. Yeah. Like, it was like, I I was also still a baby gay. So I was like in my element. Like. Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) You were fascinated by everything. Yeah. Butt cheeks. (laughs) Yeah. Butt cheeks on a stage. (laughs) Hi. (laughs) But like, as well as that, I was watching these people
2: get up and just be like the truest form of themselves. Like Mm. they did not care Who was there, who was watching, they were getting up on stage and doing their act. And like, I don't know if you've seen a lot of burlesque, but burlesque is like, it's acts. It's not getting up on stage and stripping because a lot of people are like, oh, you're like a, you're a stripper. it's like, it, they're, it's a performance. Like they have a certain song, they have like their outfits made to the point that they can like rip it off whenever they want to. Like, it's just such a creative, artistic display. Like it's amazing. And I just fell in love with
0: it. Would it be like queer is it in the queer scene
2: yeah, so i the burlesque scene that I was in was mm-hmm. all queer people, so was it kind of drag or no, so it was like it was was it like drag no, it was it was performances, but it was queer women and people getting up on the stage and doing it okay and the people that were there watching it like there were men of course like mm-hmm. that's where they that's where they make the money yeah you know like yeah. but there was people like me who was able to come every week and I that's where I started to explore how I started to dress and feel comfortable in because I was like if they can get up on stage and do whatever they want I was like I can be the audience and wear yeah. what I want I see. and at those shows so many people would come up to me and be like are you a performer mm-hmm. and I'd be like no like but it that's where I I felt comfortable enough and safe enough to kind of explore and start like those like I was like let me do this kind of crazy thing and see how it's accepted in this safe space that's so cool and this is the origin of Sam yeah like the the burlesque scene was so huge like for me it was huge and like I I haven't heard of anything any type of burlesque scene in Dublin so like please let me know if you know anything (laughs) I've asked around. I've tried to find anything and I just can't, you know, I might create it. But because
0: <laughs> you don't need anything else on your plate right now, but okay. So keep going.
2: But yeah, no, it was how I started to explore, and there was this place called House of Yes in New York. Mm. Have you heard of it?
0: Sounds familiar.
2: So it's it's a queer nightclub that how I describe it is it's a mix between a circus a like techno nightclub and like burlesque and Halloween all in one. Oh, wow. It is the craziest thing that I've ever seen. But like it like it's amazing. I fell in love with it from the second I walked in the door. Mm. Um, my experience was right. We were waiting in the line and what they do is in the line there, they have a drag performer hired to give you a consent talk at the door. So they go, hey, like we really want you to have a good time tonight. Like we want you to enjoy yourselves and stuff like that. But there's a few rules that we like need you to to live by while you're in our space. So you know, they. You, it's it's where I got my beginning speech. For Sam's Collective, it's like there's no hate, there's no homophobia. They're like, if we see you touching someone inappropriately, you're getting
0: out. Like, okay, that's just as it is. That just got me to the realization there that I think the one issue between Europe and America, and the reason why a lot of Europeans sometimes hate, sometimes oftentimes hate on Americans, is because of the fact that we are like, oh no, let's not be. The reason why people are uncomfortable in the room mm-hmm. like it's kind not even the origin of notions or that sort of thing, but like oh no, I'm not gonna speak i'm I'm not gonna set that boundary versus I think Americans have a lot more confidence in saying that and just being like, yeah. You know, like we're going to set these rules. Like we don't care yeah. if people are uncomfortable before entering or like hearing exactly. that talk. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's
2: it. Like they're like, but that's the thing. They've also made it like appealing. So like they've, mm. you know, they've hired a drag performer to give you this performance at the beginning exactly. of the night. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you They know, get like, it right. They get
0: entertainment really right. Yeah.
2: Place. And it's so perfect. And I walked in the door and I remember seeing this huge painted sign that it was like, the exact same idea as my posters, no hate, no homophobia, no transphobia, like literally just nothing mm. was accepted in that space and it was plastered everywhere. So it meant that if anything happened, you're out. Like, yes, yeah. it's such a safe space. But as well as that, it was like the, the, uh, when it, the bouncers,
1: mm.
2: the bouncers there were so... Kind and understanding, like you got your bag checked every time you go into a nightclub or whatever. I carried pepper spray with me everywhere I went to New York, but you're not allowed to take that into a nightclub. Mm. And I've had bouncers take it off me at the door and throw it out, and that's it. And I'm like, but I have to get home tonight. Yeah. Like, I don't, I now don't have my safety net. You know, there were bouncers that they'd take them, take it off me, and he'd be like, come find me at the end of the night, I'll give it back to you. Okay. And I'd go back in and he'd be like, yeah, no problem. Here you go. Like get home safe. Have a great night. And it was just the entire experience was freedom of expression, you know, a safe space, creative, like zone, like hub for anything and everyone. Mm -hmm. And I'd walk in there and like, there'd be people dressed up as like unicorns. There'd be like the circus acts, like all around the, the,
0: the ceiling, like hanging out the ceiling, and oh stuff like yeah, that. like, like the trapeze artists and all that, yeah,
2: yeah. Like so, it was just such like for young me, I was like, mm, "This is my place," yeah. Like, and it just allowed me to express myself in ways that I don't think that I would have got the chance to if I stayed here, okay. Um, so as well as those, I started going to open mics and. I well I, I was I actually started writing poetry when I was in New York. Um, but I started writing it as a like coping mechanism and didn't really share it with anyone, didn't let anyone know that I did it. Like I didn't even call it poetry. I was like just my journal, like I just yeah, write it, it down, whatever. It rhymes too. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> Roses are bad. <laughs> um but I met this friend who did write poetry. And really wanted to perform it and stuff like that, and they quickly became like my best friend. And the two of us would find every open mic that we could go to, and go every single week. So there was this one place that we would go to. Sorry, <laughs> every Tuesday we would go and it was stay close to the mixer. Sorry, it was okay. called um, No Artist Info. Mm. And it was a variety open mic and it I had mingled with people there that I had like probably never, ever would have before. So there were like rappers there mm. that like, I knew every single lyric to one of their songs, you know, like they'd come up every week, they'd get up and they'd sing, they'd Great. rap and that would be it. There's singers there who I still listen to this day. Like they're absolutely amazing. Comedy, poetry, everything. There's such, such a variety of it, but I went there for months without performing. mm mm-hmm. I just kind of sat silently in the back and I definitely like I mingled with everyone because m- that friend was performing. So it's kind of like kind of part of the performers group, but also like,
0: I see. So that's, that's why people keep asking me if I'm going to perform at your open mic. <laughs> Whenever they see me talk to you, they're like, oh, are you a performer? I'm
2: like, no. <laughs> like Maybe. Maybe. That's, that's the goal of the open mic though, is that like people come and they sit and then they finally feel comfortable enough. Is to get- it?
0: Yeah. Oh. i just go to no i just go to support you no that too (laughs) yeah but but like i just want to be another seat of like fill and just yeah but I
2: like when i first started going i would have never thought that i would get up on stage to perform anything Mm -hmm. and i sat and i watched all these people perform and like do their thing just be so like unapologetically them yeah and it inspired me like every single week after week I was like I can't wait to see that time yeah yeah I was like can't wait to see like Jadel get up on stage and see what they're about to perform today I can't wait to see this person and that person and like I was so excited um to watch them get up and then eventually they were like so when are you gonna do it and I was like no I was like stop it no like I'm not gonna get up and eventually I was like fuck it it took a lot of drink like for me to do it.
0: Rolled up slurring my words.
2: (laughs) I don't remember the first time. Like I really, that's what
0: I was about to ask you. How was your first time?
2: (laughs) Terrible. Like I, I, like I was like literally like this on stage, shaking. I was was stuttering. Like I was, but I got applauded off the stage Mm. and everyone came up to me afterwards and were like, you thank did. you, like you did it. Like, thank you so much for sharing. Thank you for, you know, getting up. Like, they're like, takes a lot of balls, like, mm-hmm. to do that. And then, yeah. like, we go, we do a shot and then we go out for the night. And, like, the, as I said, I just would have never imagined myself mingling with those people and creatives just because I don't think we would have ever ended up in the same circle. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that I still have, you know, those, like the the artists, everyone from all different ages, all different backgrounds, everything, they still text me and they're like, hey, Sam, I'm thinking about you. How are you?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And it's just a huge, it was a huge uh, introduction in my life to the creative scene and how
0: powerful creative people can be, especially when they get together. Yeah. The one thing that I really like about Sam's collective and your open mic night is the fact that you have... And this is not an insult to you, but without a massive fucking following, you have created a space where people are making friends, right? And this is quite a common theme on the podcast when it is like majority 20 year olds that are experiencing loneliness and I think it's because we are exposed to a different form of friendship where we're seeing it on our phones where people are creating content with friends and they're like oh I'm a creative I like to take videos but how how do I make friends you have done that through a medium that sometimes people just don't like go into like i I don't read poetry, I appreciate poetry, but I go there because it's like, yeah, people are performing cool, like hi open minded person, friend, you have done that, and that's unreal, like you without the drinking culture, like people don't need to get drunk, people don't need to make friends over there, so kudos to you, was it tough to bite the bullet and create that first event uh thank you (laughs) first of all every
2: time someone like describes it to me i'm like no that wasn't me like (laughs) it feels
0: very very surreal Uh, still yeah look in fairness you have no control over who like yes there are those rules but you manage to attract a good amount of people to like sit down they could have been douchebags, you know, like the event. Absolutely. Have it gone, could have like,
2: not worked at all. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, no, but what happened was I, uh, I came home and I didn't really have a friend group or a creative outlet or anything like that. Um, and I actually came home and I started going out with some people that I knew from high school. Okay. And very quickly it was like, this is not my scene. Mm-hmm. They were doing the same thing every week yeah drugs drink everything I was like I can't do this I was like these aren't friends these are people that just need to spend their time mm-hmm. so it started like it was kind of rumbling up me to the point that I was like I think I just need like I think I just need to do it because I had looked
0: at the the creative things in the city and honestly they're very hard to find they're very hard very very hard I think it's first of all like reaching out to people but also just in general yeah mm. Uh, the events are probably very exclusive and niche. That's as well. Like they're very hard to find. And pricey. But also like
2: I was terror I was like if I go by myself, I yeah. know I'm going to leave by myself. Like yeah. I wasn't really, I didn't feel safe enough to go and be like, hey, like dude, that was, so, that was funny. You yeah. know, like so pride came along. And I had posted a few TikToks and stuff like that. And as you said, like, I don't have, I have 3000 followers. Like that's nothing, yeah. you know, in the grand scheme of things. Um, but I had posted TikToks and I was using that as kind of my creative outlet. And I was like, let me just post something and see like if people will be interested. And as I said, it was pride coming up. So I was like, i will going to get a pride event because I definitely want to meet more queer people anyway because I mm-hmm. don't have any queer yeah. friends in the city. And bit the bullet and I was like, let's do it. it. So I posted it. There was a huge demand for it. And then all of a sudden I was like, I need to find a venue. (laughs) By the way, I did this in a week. Did you? Yeah. So I posted it a week before, um, the event. And I think I met with the, of the venue four days before the event happened and
0: we had our pride event and it was, I think there was, 60 or 70 people that showed up like that's the interesting thing because so many people like the one issue that a good amount of creators have right now on tiktok is they have a massive following and then the moment that they go to like sell an event merchandise whatever it may be yeah viewership and followers versus like uh like the conversion rate is very very low
2: yeah well that's like but the thing was as well i was you know it wasn't necessarily a uh a lot of those influencer events are like, hey, I'm going to do this. Like I follow a lot of poets who are like, hey, come to my poetry event. Yeah. My stuff or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's like, great. I would love to do that. But like, it's also, it costs a bomb yeah. to go, you yeah. know, stuff like that. Yeah. And it's also, it's like, I'm, I don't want to pay that much just to go and see you.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, that's it. You that's know? It. But also my, my whole thing was like, it's, you're not coming to see me we're creating a community. Mm -hmm. Like, so I was like, I was responding to the people who were texting. They were like, Oh, I would love to go, but I've no one to, I don't know anyone. And I was like, well, you know me now. Yeah. So say hello to me. And I was like, and if I, you know, I'm too busy or whatever, I'll introduce you to the people that I know now. Mm -hmm. Um, so the pride event happened and the pride event was so successful and it was just, it just really, really was surreal for me because I, there there was like Sam in the city like everywhere and I was like what's happening I was like am i am I an influencer like I'm like a little micro celebrity in Dublin like I felt crazy and it was uh I as I said it was four days for me to organize it so like I hadn't I, one I'd never hosted anything before all I'd done was go to an excessive amount of open mics and I was like I kind of get that like, so you knew what you liked
0: and what you kind of wanted it to be
2: yeah yeah I knew what I kind of wanted it to be but it was like in the beginning it was really I just wanted to have like a really cool queer creative community Mm. um and then the pride event happened and I was like that was crazy and people were like please do this again because originally I was just like I'm just going to do the pride event and then that's it yeah and I've been doing it every two weeks since and the goal of it for me as you said like it is to create a community it's to create friends for people who may not have it like as well as the creative outlet and for all of these creative people to meet up and uh like mingle with like a comedian mingles with a poet and like they inspire each other you know like or like I said like a rapper comes in and like meets a drag queen and they're like oh let's collab or let's do these like it's these people that you know may have only been exposed to other poets or other comedians or other musicians Mm -hmm. and stuff like that and I'm now like let's all mingle that but Mm -hmm. there's also the opposite side of it where it's the people that are just coming to watch Mm mm-hmm and coming experience and like they're not just coming to watch they're coming they're waiting for the break to happen because they're like oh I really want to talk to debbie about like Mm -hmm. something that they said earlier
0: on i I love the breaks (laughs) i love the breaks
2: like um, break time out I love the breaks too and I end up talking to so many people and I'm like yeah. Guys, I have to get back Like, I'm like the time yeah. is going
0: yeah. <laughs> you have a schedule again yeah, meanwhile there's someone shaking in their seat like it's my turn. <laughs> well that's like it's so hard for me
2: to like and I have been very lucky that there hasn't been any huge like mishaps for me but mm. like it's it's very hard to run an open mic because it's you can't really organise it like it can't be an organised run it's just like let's see what happens? Mm. Let's see how many people want to come. Let's see how many people want to perform. Like see how the room is. Like every single night is improvising how the night feels for everyone. Yeah. You know, so if the room is quiet and they're kind of like dull, I'm like, I'm not going to, you know, continue the show if they don't want to.
0: Oh, I see. You know, what's uh, the main, not even difference, but what have you learned so far in terms of event coordination from the first open mic to the last one you have? Latest one. Um,
2: there's been a lot, like it's been a lot of, you know, small mistakes that have happened that I had to correct myself and stuff like that. But my thing that I always fall back on is like, what is my goal for it? You know? So if things are, if, you know, shit's hitting the fan Mm -hmm. and, you know, there's artists that are waiting to go up, the time is ending, like whatever. I'm like, all of these people that are here know that, you know, like I, all I want is the best for everyone. Mm. I want everyone to get up and have their time on stage. I want everyone to have their time on the breaks and like have a chat with each other. And like, if I make a mistake, like I apologize. And I'm like, I understand that it was my fault. I'm like, but I also have said to someone like, you have to understand, like I'm still learning. Like Mm -hmm. I'm still trying to figure out how to run this and how
0: to be a host. Yeah. Because I've been I've been winging it. Like, there's that humility over there that's super important, and that transparency. And I think that's where you are going to like see that leverage, and that will take you far because you're not like claiming like, look, best fucking night out in Dublin. I I like can stomp on the competition. There is that little bit of like, no, look, I'm learning. I'm doing it by myself. You all know this. Thank you for showing up.
2: Yeah, and there's a reason that it's called a collective. Like we've had technical difficulties happen, and I'm like, guys, does anyone know how to fix this? Yeah, You know, and someone gets up and they're like, oh yeah, I know how to. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. this is why we are called a collective. It's not just me running a show and people are sitting down watching it. It's everyone is involved, whether it means, you know, you're an introverted person that like knows the technology so can help me out whenever I need to, or you're someone who wants to perform or you're someone who just wants to come and make friends. Like everyone is there for their own reasons, but they're all valid Mm. and they're all there's all the space for every single one of them there Mm -hmm. um so it's just been a huge huge thing for me it's 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 been so important for me in my life um to continue to do it and it's helped me in like my mental health how in in continuing to be able to help other people yeah and give other people the space that doesn't exist for them yet. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's there's a drag king that has come and it was their first time performing at Sam's Collective. And like I've thought about like it's it's dangerous for people who are drag queens and kings to get on public transport in their outfit, in their makeup and everything and come to Sam's Collective. Yeah. But to be able to create that space that they have the space to get up and perf- do their performance and for everyone to be like, we are absolutely in love with this. Like that's, mm-hmm. and I'm like, I've sitting there like in like tears and I'm like, I love this. Like I just yeah. love the fact that people get up and be themselves unapologetically. And like, they might need to take their makeup off and they might need to change before they get back on the yeah, yeah, yeah. bus. But like we have, we've created that space for these people that hasn't existed before.
0: and open mics are usually where nearly every comedian starts off from. Any poet, like that, that's usually where they get going and like get their reps
2: in. That's someone said to me yesterday. They were like, uh, "So, like, the people who go to your open mic, like, are they trying to like become professional or like what? Like, are they serious at yeah. their craft?" And I was like, "Well, I feel like you know." I was like, one, that doesn't really matter. I was like, but two, I feel like every creative's goal is yes, to like be able to create. At a larger scale. At a larger scale. And like, this is the beginning of that. Like, er, as you said, every single artist that you know started off at
0: something small like this. Mm -hmm. Literally, literally. It was always just going up to open mics, Googling open mics, comedy shows, whatever it may be. Just like uh, I had Sinead Walsh on. And that's how she started out. she would go to open mics be like, this is a poetry eventually. Like, well, you have comedy now. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, that sort of thing. And you get it done. Yeah, that's it. And
2: I also, like, that's another, that's why I've been having, I've had two headliners so far. Yeah. And it's why I wanted the headliners, because the, these headliners are small enough Irish artists, but they are seeing success. Yeah. And, like, the huge thing for me is to have them headline our open mic and have all the other performers look at these headliners and be like it is it can come true like Mm -hmm. it can happen
0: yeah you can like uh, Sammy where were they at before at the academy you know was that a sold out event yes yeah yeah Sammy has sold out
2: uh the academy and then two two London dates there you go Yeah. So, but Sammy was huge for me because I came across him on TikTok and fell in love with his voice and like every, just everything. Like I was watching his lives and everything. And what happened, how me and Sammy got in contact was I watched one of his lives
0: and I was like, Hey, I run a queer open mic night if you want to stop by. Was it? like, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the magic of reaching out to people. that's
2: it. And like the magic of reaching out to people, but also just, just do it. Like, just like there's so many people who sit there and are like, like it's, you know, whether it's sending the message or like, should I do this event? Like, should I, you know, should I create this idea? Should I, and like people don't do it because they're so worried of all different other factors. Mm -hmm. I think that I had just gotten to the point in my life that I was like, I don't
0: care about the judgment because it's going to come either way. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's it. I think that is understanding that turning point of I'm either gonna judge myself for not doing anything in the long run, or people that I'm not in touch with kind of go, oh, what you doing? All right, you know? That's, the amount of messages and support I get in my inbox, but not publicly shared, is like so different. Well that's and
2: it's interesting to me the people who people who see me in Swords and stuff like that, who I knew before I went to New York, mm. they'll come up to me and they'll be like, so like you're you're doing events or something now, are you <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, like it's it's a very casual way to drop in like I see that you're doing this,, I see. but like you know also not really like they wouldn't really entertain it, they wouldn't write to me or like any of my content or anything like that. It's like we see this, but also like when I get those comments I'm like, is it coming from a place of like Kindness or not.
0: I always question that. And that's why it doesn't really affect me in that way. Because I remember starting out being like, obviously with my podcast, I'm not technically dependent on how many seats show up. So it's a different type of vulnerability. I was like, why? Why is no one supporting? Like the guests that I was bringing on as well were super good. Um, So I remember being a little bit disappointed with that. But then the more I did it and the more episodes that were released, I was like, okay, all right, I'm on to something. I'm slowly starting to figure something out. And you know what it is? People are watching and listening. They are. They just won't openly support you. Yeah. The only time they're gonna openly support you was at a point is will be at a point in time where your inbox is so full that you can't see it.
2: Well, that's, so it's, I like, don't even saw it literally two days ago, I posted this TikTok and it was the same idea. It's like, when you start to see success, you know, like I was like, I'm seeing success. I'm doing the things that like, I would have never imagined that I could do. Mm. But like, I'm at this point and like the TikTok was literally like, I wish someone had told me that I was doing, I'd be doing it by myself. By because you, it's a very lonesome journey once you start to see success, because I don't know whether it's people like feel that they can't say things to you or whatever it is but like I a lot of the people who know me haven't really acknowledged like the amazing things that are going on mm-hmm. for me and like at the beginning of this year I haven't told you this I was uh I was actually I I moved home because I was really really struggling with my mental health and at the beginning of this year I was in an outpatient program in a psych ward oh yeah yeah so to go from
0: there to to this that's why your birthday was so big though as well
2: that's exactly why my birthday was so big it was just such a huge accomplishment for me to get to this year yeah like but to see um just to see everything that's gone on to see like my successes I have kind of been you know a bit like "Mm, like why can't people be like hey good job you know
1: I know I struggle with that so much yeah
2: yeah yeah like, I don't need the praise, but it also you sucks don't. when your, like, best friends are like, yeah, cool. Mm-hmm. You're doing that, that, like, gay thing,
0: yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. So, that sucks. But. The validation is very difficult um, because I think we have to, or I I'll talk for myself, I still sometimes struggle to get into the process of creation without validation. And the reason why... It probably goes back to childhood. Like if a professional were sitting here, they'd go like, oh, your childhood validation, that sort of thing. Why do you need it? So it's just about understanding that context yeah. of I am never going to get it. And how am I going to create that relationship with myself where I'm the only one that is going to like validate me?
2: Well, yeah, that, uh, but I also think what has been helping is creating, you know, a a group of friends who are in the same position. Yeah. yeah you know, like yeah. we feel the same way. Yeah. You know, I reached out to one of my other content creative friends the other day because I was like, you know what? Like this is actually getting to me mm-hmm. and they respond and they're like, I feel the exact same way. Oh yeah. You know? And it's like when I posted that TikTok, so many influencers liked it. And I was like, it's because we're all in this, like once we start to see success, we kind of. You know, like my my main thing is my family are like, that's a cool
0: thing that you've created, but like, where's it going? People keep asking me, "Well, are you making money? Yeah, are you making money? That's the only thing that's like will get their not their approval. Yeah, but but uh, they they
2: don't understand the societal
0: way of like getting that validation is, uh, are you monetized? Which gladly anyone (laughs) that wants to monetize this podcast. Make my family proud. Um Dance collective too. <laughs> uh, monetize them too. But it is about uh, that validation. I feel so happy now, the more that I'm doing this, that I have finally attracted a solid um, contact list, dare I say, yeah. of uh, people that understand and go through it. The first time I got a hate comment, I went to the first creator that was on the podcast that I got along with. And I was like, do I delete? Like, what yeah. do I do? Um, where what, was? I? What do you do with your hate comments? Um. So, okay. There's a there's a routine for a hate comment that I used to have before. I at first would like look at it, and it used to sting me a little bit, and that was specifically if they were about like talking about my accent, if. Uh, it was just like being foreign, that sort of thing. And then like if they called me a shite host, for example, Mm. that used to get to me a lot. And I actually Googled, do you delete hate comments? I had one friend say, like one guest say like, no, delete them. If it's going to skew someone's, like, like someone new that like rolls on your TikTok, if it's going to potentially skew their perception of you, delete it. Uh, someone else then go look if you're com- you're gonna get to a point where you're so comfortable in yourself that you are gonna tell them fuck off i haven't got there yet so all i do is just play happy music <laughs> i just play mean by taylor swift <laughs> and uh, like automatically that's i like I'm that go, i
2: might steal that one
0: someday <laughs> yeah. i'll
2: be that's one yeah um no i that, i like that i i don't i think i just
0: leave mine there As of now. If uh, what I'm doing now is if they're going to be talking shit about the guest, I don't care. I delete it because the guest can't defend themselves on my profile. Yeah. So that's not going to happen unless if it's like a proper, you know, like debate or whatever. Of course, I'm leaving it there. In fairness, I don't get... Too much, it's more about the topic at hand because the way TikTok works, it's literally just like if it's about the housing crisis, you don't know what yes. you're talking about da, 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 scroll next, they got on with their day. I need to learn how to get on with my day. Yeah, um I had someone tell me recently it stayed in my mind. Go woke, go broke and if i were to bring on guests that want to bring awareness <laughs> to certain things and if i want to fight the good fight i'm yeah. gonna lose it and i was like all right other than that you're great debbie yeah it's <laughs> like fuck you but that's it's it's always you, <laughs> there's so
2: many of them is like the negative mm. comment followed by like love your show
0: love your show <laughs> just like just a few minor tweaks i was like get those minor tweaks and shove them up your ass <laughs> please. But I, I ignore mine right now, but what I've noticed it's doing
2: is I'm also ignoring the positive comments. You have Um, to. Yeah. But I, I don't like doing that because a huge thing about my reason why I'm on TikTok and the events and everything is community. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. But I'm saying like, uh you know, I've, I've posted TikToks about the events. Like I said earlier on when someone was like, you know, oh, I would love to come, but I don't have any queer friends. Like, I want to be able to respond to that being like, you now know me. But if I'm ignoring hey, comments, I just refuse to look at the comment section and leave it there. And now that person won't come to the event because I haven't texted
0: Okay. That. So from a professional uh, point of view, the solution to that is a community manager. Mm. Monetize. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think something like that, though, it's just like... Y- Unfortunately, those kind of things will filter through. If they if they feel that strongly about something, there's your Instagram linked. There's your inbox open. They can message you through there. Yeah. So, it's a catch 22. I don't respond to everything. I usually respond to the comments that have a little bit of substance to them. Yeah. A little bit of sauce or or just like if it's a compliment. Knowledge, Knowledge <laughs> I think also sometimes you have to like play with the algorithm as well where mm-hmm. Look, if you got twelve comments on a TikTok and you responded to each of them, there's twenty-four comments. Do you believe in the concept that creative ideas come and if they don't like if you don't act on them, they go on to the next person? I've never
2: heard that, but I love it. Did like you that. not? No.
0: So if you were to like take it a step back in terms of like spirit like spirituality and all that, God, not the Christian one, just God. Yeah. They leave you they give you like creative ideas. And it's upon you, like it's your turn to just like act on them and think about it. How often do you get a really good idea? You don't act on it. Then you're like, what, what, what was that thing again? Or you're like, fuck, that person did it. Well, why you didn't that, you
2: do it? Yeah, you see that so many times people are like, oh, that was my
0: original idea. And it's like, so why didn't you, why do, didn't it? you do it? Yeah. And then the theory goes, I am butchering it. The theory goes that after a while, if you keep not acting on these little mini opportunities, they're not going to come to you anymore, yeah. which I find really cool. Well, yeah, that that also builds
2: on the idea of like creativity, like how, if you stop creating,
1: mm.
0: you're, you know, you're going to
2: run dry. Like you're not going to really be able to have, be as creative and it's like training the brain too you know like for me I didn't paint for years so it was really really hard for me to get back into painting but once I did I was like I would start one painting and within the first five minutes I'd be like oh, I I know what I'm painting next yeah you know yeah. it's the uh, it's the idea it's like of, of your training your creativity Sorry, I just saw your-,
0: your give me that ring <laughs> <laughs> you gotta like pull it <laughs> Oh, I love this. Sorry, I just saw two pairs of eyes in the second one. No, monitor. I know. I left it
2: on the table.
0: I was like, I have to put it on. <laughs> you have to put it on. Yeah, that's a question I wanted to ask you. There you go. Yeah. I, wish I could see with you. You gotta do it. Yeah. <laughs> Gas. Um, when it, so was it just burlesque that got you into this style? No. I always dress... I'm going to use the
2: term weird because that's what people have always... Even, yeah. That's what people have always used you know, for me. And I take weird as a compliment now, okay. right? So I've always dressed weird, a little ed- like on edge. Like I, you know, would, when we would go out with my friends in school, you know, they'd be like, oh, we're wearing like a nice top and jeans, mm. you know? And I'd be like, okay, cool. I'll wear a nice top and jeans, but I'll wear jeans that are red and white striped. Okay. So you always had that. I edge. always had that thing, but I was severely worried about the the judgment of other people before I left for New York. Okay. So what someone said to me recently was that they were like you I think before you left you did your style like 30% like it was there you wanted to do it but you were too afraid mm. of what was going to be said or you know whatever would come of it. Now you just do it 100% and I don't give a fuck. Like yeah. you know, I I wake up in the morning and I like literally what happened today I was like what am I going to wear? I put on these red and white striped jungleries. I call them my clown dungarees. Yeah. And I sat down to do my makeup and I was like, put like a little bit of red here, put some dots here. And like, that's how my makeup goes. Like people think that I spend ages then, or hours getting ready. Like I'm planning. It's literally like, I'll pull this weird thing out of my wardrobe and just paint my face. <laughs> like, that's how it goes. And I like, but I love it though, because it's, it's always been a huge way like before I started painting or writing how I expressed myself was my was how I dress okay um I didn't start experimenting with makeup until like recently but it was I always had weird clothes like oh just like odd things okay like tops that had like that had like webbing from here to here that looked like wings like this, okay like, crazy things that I'd be like oh wow like I can't get that everywhere so let me buy that you know um but since I've been home it's actually I've actually felt more myself and in how I dress and how I express myself but but like I was afraid that when I was moving home that that was kind of go back into like its cage Mm -hmm. when I was moving home I was like okay I could either tone myself down to make people more comfortable yeah which was a serious discussion that I like had with myself I was like am I going to do this or I can just be unapologetically me and just let people stare because people do stare, like people stare at me. I
0: can imagine. Yeah, when I I'm, think sometimes it's also curiosity, like "oh, I want." Some absolutely,
2: more. like I don't think it's all a negative thing. Yeah, but like when you're walking down the street and the people staring at you, it doesn't like no, it
0: doesn't feel, feel good.
2: Yeah, because do you experience also...
0: social anxiety though.
2: Absolutely. Okay.
0: Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Kudos. How 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 do you do that? Years of practice. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> like I right I I actually went to so it was one of the first outings that I went to when I was at home was my partner's birthday right I didn't okay. know anyone there they weren't my par- partner at the time and I was wearing this blue suit and had like orange an orange shirt on and I had like my makeup there was like a line down my face I looked like a clown like literally but I like t- intentionally um and I walked in and to everyone else, I walked in and I was like super confident and, you know, you know, whatever, whatever way that you say creative, colorful. I had a fidget spinner in my pocket. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like spinning it the entire time and like doing these things that I knew that would help me cope in that situation, meeting all these new people looking like that. But I still refused to tone myself down just to make these new other people feel wow. more comfortable.
0: Respect. Thanks. Respect. Like, uh, that's actually really... I, I hope that that inspires someone to just like wear a brighter color or something like that.
2: Me Maybe too. do a few
0: dots or something.
2: Yeah, well, that's it. Like, I think it was really fun for my birthday. We did the, the dress Oh, like yeah. Sam.
0: I have something to say <laughs> to everyone that was invited. Yes. <laughs> a dress like Sam party is a dress like Sam Fucking party. Yeah. I think we need to redo it. <laughs> yeah. I'm not buying anything <laughs> else though. You just need to do the same outfit. I'm just going to do the same outfit. Really- Look, I didn't do the makeup. Makeup's not for me. Yeah. Like, uh, it's but just... That's, I, I was like, let's do a dress like Sam, but also like what people feel comfortable with. Like I don't yeah, want people feel, yeah. like, making themselves feel uncomfortable. But but I think that was it. It's, and I was saying that before leaving the house because I was dressed like for context. I had green... Um, Jeans and I had this like bright pink and orange sweater vest, and like it matched. It looked like a regular outfit, but I was like, "Kudos to Sam for leaving the house like this without offending you." Of course, no, you know. No, I know. But uh, I, it, it it was difficult getting into the taxi. Well, that's it. Like it, it
2: the whole thing for me about like I mean, first of all, the dress like Sam idea was yours. <laughs> Let's state that now. <laughs> but. <laughs> And I'm angry. <laughs> but, um, the idea that I was making, I was challenging my friends. Yeah. It was To wants step a out of their comfort zone and kind of do that. And also like, not only that, but like, as you've just said, like, kind of see what I do deal with you on a de- daily basis. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Like you deal with this on a daily basis. And that's what I was saying. I was like, honestly, I, I don't know how you do it. No, in fairness, um, It's not my style or anything, you know, like, yeah, but uh, it was really cool to just be in your shoes kind of a little bit just because I matched orange with green. Yeah, that's it. I am this like colorful being walking out of the house and they're like, "Whoa, what the fuck? I think sometimes it's just like pure intimidation. Yeah. Of, um, I feel uncomfortable seeing you even if you do have a fidget spinner in your pocket, seeing you so confident and I am not that comfortable.
2: Yeah. Like I, but it's not your problem either. Well, I've had, so I've had this poem that I've been trying to do or trying to like un- make, figure it out for a while. Right. And it's basically the idea of inviting the people in the room to say like how they think I am, like use describing words for mm. And I know the things that are are going to be, like, colourful, loud, maybe, you know, creative, confident, whatever. But, like, to me, like, yes, I, like, I am those things, but I'm also, like, a huge aspect of, like, I'm shy, I'm anxious, I'm, you know, all of these things that when you look
0: at me on the outside, you don't actually, you'd be like, Sam's doesn't worry about anything. And dare I say... Is it, do you dress that way to hide that side of you or do you use it as a coping mechanism?
2: You know, I've had a therapist say to me, why do you dress the way you do? Or why do you feel whatever, the, need. the need to like dress in a weird way or do whatever? And I'm like, I honestly don't, I don't feel like I'm hiding anything. I feel like if I was to tone myself down, I would be hiding that aspect of me.
1: Yeah.
2: I feel like it's just, I wake up in the morning, I look in the mirror and I'm like, do I feel good? And how I feel good is not the standard magazine cover, like traditional influencer, like idea of beauty. It's like, do I feel fun and creative? And like, do I feel good in myself? Yeah, cool. Let's walk out the door. Okay, Like, it's not to... Cause I don't hide any of that either. You know, mm. like it, maybe if I didn't talk about my anxiety or the things that I struggle with, know. like, yeah, maybe it would be that. But I think, I think that's why I need to make it more visible because of that. Because I think like, I think as Irish people were very quick to judge a book by its cover.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I think it's people in general, but I think in Ireland it's judgment is such a huge part of our culture and, you know, people have looked at me and they're like, you know, they make a judgment about me immediately that like, I need to be the center of attention. And I dress that way because I want everyone to be talking about me or looking at me. And it's like, I don't like when people are looking at me. Like, I don't like when people are talking about me, but I'm also not going to dress in a way that people aren't going to talk about me because I don't, I feel uncomfortable in that, in that dress, in that way. And that's it. So why do I want to make myself feel uncomfortable to make other people feel
0: more comfortable? That's a lot to unpack, because it's like self-expression mixed with anxiety, social anxiety. Then it's like, it's not loud, but it's like colorful. It's basically head to toe, coordinated. But I do like it. And I think it comes with just like a lesson in just accepting things for the way they are. You can't control them. You can't control other people and just like let people be. Yeah. And keep walking, just order your coffee or your vape, whatever. And, uh, I've, leave people alone.
2: I've, I've been in like the, the like financial district, like walking through the streets, like the way that I am. And there's like men, like, you know, in their sixties or whatever. And they might be like 20 feet away from me and they are staring at me like mm. continuously walking towards me
1: mm-hmm.
2: and I'm like sometimes I glance over and I look at them sometimes I know that they're looking at me but I don't do anything but there's also sometimes where I just meet their eye contact and I look at them and for the whole time that they're like walking past me the two of us are staring at each other and I'm like how does this make you feel and eventually they're the ones who are like this like I'll look away because it makes yeah. me feel weird that now I'm staring at them okay
0: it's funny. It's a funny You're a game badass. to play. <laughs> You're a badass. That's basically it. That's all we need to fucking understand there. But I had to ask the questions because I'm sure that a lot of people are curious mm-hmm. uh, about that sort of stuff. You were talking about your struggles. You said that the reason why you moved to Dublin was because you were struggling. Yeah. Uh, let's dive into that. What were you struggling with? Internally at that point in time? So, I do think that I
2: had been struggling since I actually moved to New York. Okay. I think that I moved to New York to escape, not that I think, I know I moved to New York to escape swords. And I thought that that was the issue, but really, like, it was an internal thing that was happening. But it had got to my four years and I was really, really struggling. I did not want to be here anymore. Like, But the thing was, I had been in so much therapy that I knew the things that I needed to do, you know. So I called out to my family and I was like, hey, like it was the first time that I actually had this conversation with them. I was like, this is how I'm feeling. I don't want to be here anymore. I was like, I if I don't move home within the next
0: month or so, I'm not coming home. Why did you think that home what was the solution, but what was that need for a home for?
2: So, I had recently broken up with my partner in New York, um, of two years, who was my support system. Okay, um, a lot of my friends from in New York had left because of COVID and stuff like that, so I didn't really have a support system. I heard that New York was a ghost town during ghost COVID. town, completely, completely, like, but and people stayed away. Like, so a lot of my friends who I would have leaned on, who I would have been able to talk to, were gone. Okay. And I was just at the point that I, I knew that I didn't only need support, but like I needed to stop working. Like I needed to go back to basics and like learn how to feed myself. Mm. Like I was going days in, in bed. Like the only reason that I was getting out of bed was my dog. Yeah. Like, and like I lived in an apartment, so I had to take her out three times a day, at least, you know, like to go to the bathroom. So on my darkest days, like I literally would get up Walk outside the door, go to the patch of gra- patch of grass outside the door, and walk straight back in. And like, she was the reason that like kept me going. They're lifesavers. Oh my god! Like, yeah. I, I, like, I will confidently say I probably would not be here without my dog. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Shout, I shout out to Charlie. Shout out to Charlie. <laughs> I had Mary Holgrain on where we were talking about addiction. It was her dog as well, baby. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. I don't know what it is about pets. I think it's just like the sheer dependence on you and the sheer love and the unconditional love they have for you. Yeah. Where it's like, who's gonna clean up my shit if you're gone?
2: <laughs> that, but also I felt it was the 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 unconditional love with the like they they can't have judgment.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah.
2: Right. So like I might be sitting on my couch and I haven't shared in five days and I'm crying my eyes out and watching you know the Vampire Diaries for the twentieth time, <laughs> but like. My dog is sitting down cuddling me and loves me no matter what. Yeah,
0: yeah. They're actually happy that you're there. Yeah,
2: <laughs> you know, and it's just like that, like the unconditional, judgment-free love was really what I needed. Mm-hmm. And like I, we were like stuck at the hip. Like she came to bed with me, she came she came to the bathroom with me. Like when I bathed, she lay on the,
0: yeah, the bath on, mat, on the
2: bath mat beside me. Like she came everywhere with me. Um, but Anyway, I, I was extremely struggling. Um, I had like the, the me that you see now, like I was wearing gray and black and I had like hats on and like my hood up and like walking around. Like, so it's also very visible in how I address with how my mental health is. Hmm. Um, but I was really, really struggling. My therapist that I had been seeing for three years had said to me, so it was online. She was like, you need more help than me. Mm. She's like, you need to reach out to someone and like get admitted somewhere or something like that. So I was like, the only place I can do that is Ireland. I was like, America, I'm going to be put in debt for the rest of my life, yeah. you know? And I know no one and everything. And I was just, it was just my time. I was like, I just need to come home. So I reached out to my family, kind of told them what was going on. And it was such a mixed bag of everything. Cause they didn't know what to do with this piece of information, you know? So like, I was like, I, I want to die. Like I'm not doing well. I need support. And my mom would be on the other side of the phone and she's like, but you've built a life for the past four years there, you know? And like, she's like, like, you know, do you really want to leave all that behind? Like, this is a huge decision. And I was like, no, no, no. Like, I forget all that. I was like, I need to come home. Hmm. And then there was the other side of like my auntie on the phone. My auntie was like, come home tomorrow. She's like, fuck the apartment, fuck the dog. She's like, we'll sort all that out. Just come home tomorrow. And I was like, well, I can't do that either. You know, like, so I ended up coming home within a month. Like I made the decision. Um, and very, very luckily got into the mental health services in Ireland pretty quickly. Um, but when I moved home, I couldn't eat. Like I just felt sick all the time. I was sleeping probably 16 hours a day. I just like, and the the weird thing was like, I was having these conversations with my family and I was like, yeah, no, I don't really want to be here anymore. Just like no emotion, completely disconnected, like nothing. I was like, I'm, I'm done. Like, that's actually what it was. It was just, I'd realized I'd got to the point and I was finished. i got Charlie home. Like that's like I got my dog home. My dog's gonna be taken care of. Like, but very luckily I got into the mental health services. So I started in an outpatient program in Swords five days a week. Well. Wow. And you know, the majority of the time it would just be to get up, get dressed, have breakfast, and come in and we do like the wordle of the day. You know, like we do these like basic things and we'd sit down and they'd be like you know like here do this like mindfulness colouring and like when you're in that state of mind you're like Phew. so were you actually at the hospital or were you at your place so it's no like, so the well no I was in so it's the day hospital but it's the mental health centre in Swords mm-hmm. so thank god I didn't have to go anywhere that far it was literally like an eight minute walk down okay. the for me so yeah so I went physically in and they had this little room and I think there's only room for like nine people at a time okay in there Um, so I started going to the psychiatrist and I got into the day hospital and the day hospital really like for the first month I would roll out of bed. I'd be late going in. I, you know, wouldn't really want to be there. I was just like, what is that? Like, this
0: isn't going to make me feel better." Like, fuck your colouring.
2: Yeah. I was like, this is going to fucking, like the colouring that said like, I am grateful or like, I am alive. I was like, fuck, like (laughs) what am I doing here? Like, (laughs) But they also went through, um, these 32 skills, which are called the decider skills. You can actually look it up on Google. It's part of the mental health system in Ireland, the education program. And the, it, basically teaches you skills on how to deal with any issues that arise in your life which I think honestly we should all be taught in school Mm -hmm. because I said it to multiple people when I was there at the time I was like I feel like a toddler I was like I feel like I've gone back to like primary school and they're like you know this too shall pass (laughs) you know like if you're feeling down like have you eaten have you slept I know and
0: they're very, very valid. Like, yeah, yeah. When you're in that state, you're like, Pfft. I know. It, it, like, it's so tough. And I have a friend, Dara, that w- writes about mental health. And he gets like quite a few comments sometimes or hates being like, no, it's more than that. But what he's preaching is like, have you drank? Are, are you dehydrated? Yeah. Are you sleeping? Are you. exercising is in like if you can you need to exert a little bit like you need to break a sweat yeah um and your mindfulness like are you meditating well that's it they're so so important that's like they were basically teaching us all these little skills Uh
2: you know basic basic things but then what started to happen with me in the day hospital was I did start to feel a little better I listened to their skills like one of the skills is distraction Mm. So when you're having those thoughts or when you're feeling down to distract yourself with whatever it is that you choose to do. And mine was painting. That's how I got back into painting. I was like, it's the only time where my mind is silent that I only focusing on getting the paint in between the lines. and like, that's it. And I started painting all the time and it was just like my therapy and there was nothing more to it than literally just like it quiet my mind. And I like, did the painting, I was drawing like naked women, like <laughs> in Sam style, you know, <laughs> even in my darkest days, women burlesque. <laughs> but, <on>. you know, <laughs> but, um, they in the day hospital, what kind of happened when I started to feel a bit better was that I was then like, I'm feeling better, but this person that has been sitting beside me for the past month feels like shit today. Mm. Like they're very quiet. They have their head down. So I turn around to them. I'd be like, oh, you know, how are you feeling? I'd be like, oh, shite, you know, like, and there's, you know, I don't know if you've seen those movies where it's like comedy in the psych ward, but like when I tell you that there was the funniest things that happened or jokes and it was dark humor, but it was like how we were coping. Like we were running across the road one day and I was like, I was like, lads, like you are going to get yourself killed. And they're like, wouldn't be the worst thing, would it? I was like... (laughs) But in those moments, it's like those people giggled for the first time. And yeah, you know, and there was those moments where we we all connected because we were all like, we all feel this dark, this mm. darkness, no matter what way it is for us, what shape it comes in for us. We all feel like this. And immediately, like we all connected. And on the days that I would come in with my hood up and head down, they'd have tea ready for me and be like, oh, I got you like a gluten-free treat, you know, like things like that. And it was the kindness that was shown within those moments that was huge. And what I had started to do was I had started to then help them. Mm. As I mentioned earlier on, helping people is my, it feeds my soul. And I had said, like, there was many jokes made by like, oh, Sam, like, are you one of the nurses here? Like, (laughs) Because I was like, can I get you tea? Can I do this? Like, can I help out? And like, and I was I really took on the role of like helping others, which in turn helped me. Yeah. In that time, got diagnosed with BPD, which is borderline personality disorder. What was that like for you? I still remember the day. It was really it was really strange because I'd been diagnosed with depression and anxiety before, but like this might sound light but like everyone everyone has a bit of anxiety or everyone's like oh I just feel a bit depressed today or like I have the fear or whatever and when they said to me they were like have you ever heard of borderline I was like no like and they were like yeah no like your your diagnosis is borderline personality disorder and they gave me this one sentence description which I can't even remember what it was and they were like that's your diagnosis And that was the information that I was given about my diagnosis. Um, I have had to do all of the research myself. I've had to understand that these things that I would have just said were just me, were just, you know, how I am, are actually because of this disorder that I've been diagnosed with. And it's been hard because I've been continuously like, oh, that that's from BPD. Like that's, it's not just me. It's not just a problem that I have. It's, well, it is, they're both, they're they're both things. But it's contributed, it's contributed to this diagnosis that I've been given that I'm like, okay, this is the reason. It's not, there's nothing wrong with me. There's nothing, you know, it's nothing I need to fix. It's like, this is what happens. And I, it was just huge. It was, I was like, everyone has depression, anxiety, but not everyone has BPD.
0: No, I think the moment that, BPD comes into it or schizophrenia, any disorders that are heavily more serious, Yeah, it's just like, oh, okay, like you get that like shiver, you straighten up your back a little bit. You're like, oh, all right, how, how am I going to take this information? How am I going to move forward with this? Because this doesn't go. I think, um, I don't know if you're comfortable with answering this question, but like there is medication, yeah. but it won't... So what actually? Out of the way, like. Yeah.
2: So what the doctor had actually said to me that day was, "We can give you medication, but medication doesn't really help borderline people." Mm. And I was like, Ugh. "Okay," but right now, like at that point, I had been on antidepressants and mood stabilizers yeah. because they just put me on it the second I came in because they were like, "We need something to kind of."
0: Yeah, you need that temporary. Yeah. yeah.
2: Um, but they had said to me, like, you know medication won't help. There's no studies that show that medication helps. Mm-hmm. Right. And like at that point, when you feel like you've done everything else and someone tells you that medication isn't going to help you, you're like, well, what is? Yeah. Yeah. That's the point. Uh-huh. You know, like, and that's, that was the huge thing for me, but they, so I am on medication now. I've been continuously on antidepressants and mood stabilizer and an antipsychotic, which is a big big bad one when people hear that
0: they're like whoa yeah um does it help you
2: yes so the antipsychotic is my the main one that really really helps me because it stops my intrusive thoughts okay um now that I'm sitting here you know out of the day hospital and stuff like that does not mean that I still don't have days that I wake up and I'm like I don't want to be here anymore because I do but like I do have those days but the the intrusive thoughts would be like okay you know Let's just impulsively like let me harm myself, mm-hmm. and that was continuously in my mind, and that's it was like upsetting me, and like from an outsider's perspective, I'm like I'm sitting down crying that these are the thoughts that I'm having, as if it's like someone else in my mind telling me to do these things, and I'm so upset by it, and so like I was so uh affected physically, like you could like I was like shaking, hyperventilating, like scared of myself, um, and they put me on the antipsychotic, which helped and quieted those thoughts
0: almost completely. Okay. Um, I'm glad they work for you in fairness because um, I think a common fear is not losing your light, but like uh, becoming a zombie, sort of. That,
2: but also from a creative point of view, I have a friend who is schizophrenic Mm. and they refuse to take their meds because it takes their creativity away.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: And you know, it's a, a common thing is like, will I not take the meds and be creative? Or will I take the meds, be well yeah, and not be? But the thing was for me, like that didn't happen. You know, yeah, like, that's good. I, I I use my
0: creativity as a resource, as a therapy.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I think that's it. It's kind of like rather that you have to kind of not switch, but at what point do you get your creativity and make it a system and add it into your life where you don't paint when the urge comes? It's like, no, I ha- I gave myself 30 minutes this week. I'm painting. And not only that, I think a
2: lot of creatives might use their creativity as only as a coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. So only when they're unwell and they're in crisis and everything, they'll paint. Yeah. But then when they're feeling well, a.k.a. when they're taking the meds, Mm. they're not going to do those things because they don't need the coping mechanism because they're not that low. Mm -hmm. Um, But another huge thing for me as well, when I was in the day hospital, and I wanted to mention it here because it helped me so much, was that they kept referring to me as unwell. Instead of, you know, like, I was like, I just got diagnosed with this huge thing, like it's, you know, the the stigma around it and everything. They were like, you're right now, you're just unwell. And all of these
1: skills, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: and all of these skills will help you become well, Mm -hmm. you know, and you can dip in and out of being unwell and well, Mm -hmm. but like, it was a huge thing for me because I was like, okay, that makes me feel like I can get better.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: Because up until that point, I was like, oh, like, you know, I'm crazy. Yeah. And like, that's never, that's not going to change. Yeah. That's what it felt like, you know, so that was a huge thing for me, the unwell and well aspect of it really gives you hope and that like oh I can be well or I can get better do but you get scared? of myself? yeah yeah um, a, a huge part of borderline is that you can make you can be like impulsive mm. um, and my my impulsive behavior I've identified really is like spending like I spend a lot so when I'm manic I'll be like, I absolutely need, you know, I haven't bought like a $500 dress, but for that example, you know, like I'll be like, I absolutely need this. And because of, because I'm manic, my mindset is like the money, like it'll be fine. Like I'll get the money back somewhere else and I'll buy it. Even if that $500 is the last amount of money that I have, euros,
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) dollars,
2: the last amount that I have in my bank account, I I will buy it. And, like, not only with that, it's, like, impulsive decisions, like, you know, uh, like, Debbie, you annoyed me today. Like, I'm not friends with you anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm cutting off... Everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everything. But also, like, it's it's hard as well because, you know, the people that... Which is why I like talking about it more, because the people who don't know that I suffer with it are going to be like, the fuck is wrong with Sam? Like, she's after cutting me off, mm-hmm. you know, because I was five minutes late for a coffee yeah, or whatever yeah, yeah but the people who know that I have BPD I'm able to go back to circle back and be like hey sorry sorry about that like yeah. I've now acknowledged this is what it is mm-hmm. you know it doesn't it doesn't excuse it you know no. and I definitely like I do my best to make up for the certain things that happen but yeah like it does scare me because you don't have it's like you don't have control yeah yeah. Um, and there's there's nine symptoms of BPD and they had told me that I qualify for six of them or something. If you qualify for five or more, you're, you you have it. Basically, okay. you qualify to...
0: Well, at least not nine out of nine. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Congrats. Exactly. <laughs> um, but I went through them the other day because I was actually, as I said, like no one sat down with me. No doctor, nurse, like anyone sat down with me and being like, hey, here are the nine symptoms. Let's... Yeah figure out where they affect you uh-huh because they're very
0: broad statements you know like
2: can I I'm gonna get
0: them yeah up. B- bring them up yeah it's a weird one though because like I'm still so fascinated because it's kind of like I don't know why but you said borderline yeah. but my head still went to bipolar well that's also because, because of BPD yeah, like, yeah the beast.
2: BPD people are like oh by bipolar disorder
0: uh-huh, uh-huh. That, that was it in my head where <laughs> yeah. I was just like oh yeah bipolar you yeah. know like uh obviously it takes a borderline is a thing. And I feel like the concept of borderline is thrown around so often where it's like, Oh, they're moody borderline.
2: Yeah, that's it. Or the borderline personality disorder, like per, like they have multiple personalities. Yeah, it's like, yeah. yeah. No, this, no it's, that's, that's, that's completely a whole different. other thing. Yeah. It's and it's different. so like, I really do think the name might need to <laughs> shift. Because well, hopefully like,
0: it's nothing like super complicated. No, at, but like, they were like,
2: it's borderline. I was like, okay, nine, borderline between what and what? Oh. Personality, like, what's wrong with my personality?
0: Yeah. It's a disorder. Is my per- Am I disordered, kind of? Yeah.
2: You know, That's so tough it's one. very hard. Like, when they said it to me, I was like, what? Like,
0: the nine symptoms of peri- BPD.
2: Here, I have them all here.
0: Okay. First one feelings of emptiness. Oh right. my! Uh, before you go into them, uh, by the way, everyone, don't diagnose yourselves with anything, yes, please. please okay. don't. Yeah. Um, this, we're just like talking about it from Sam's personal experience, okay?
2: Please. Yes, don't just, diagnose yourself. Yeah, this and is also, no
0: ADHD BuzzFeed type <laughs> quiz, right? Grant, cool, carry on. So. Um, but also,
2: I'm still learning about it too, yeah. I want to say as well. So like everything that I say is just... <laughs> To do with me and my experience and what I've learned myself, because as I just said, like no one really sat me down and taught me about it. So anyway, the symptoms. So feeling of emptiness. Mm -hmm. Doesn't everyone feel empty from time to time? Yeah. You know, like you read that and you're like, yikes. (laughs) Um, But yes, no, I would go through intense feelings of emptiness, of feeling alone, of, I would call it numb. Mm. Um where i just feel like i'm kind of hovering throughout yeah. my life okay. like i don't have a lot of emotions you know which is opposite to what we were just talking about but like yeah there is there is modes where i'm just numb
0: yeah okay
2: um wide mood swings lasting from a few hours to a few days which can include intense happiness irritability shame or anxiety okay so my mood swings are just constant. Yeah. Like, and it can be, you know, like I, something good could happen for me and I'm like in, like, of course I'm happy, but I'm, you know, normal person might be like a five or six happy. I'm like a Mata. 12, like, yeah. you know, this is the best day of my life kind of thing. yeah, Um, and then it's the same with sadness. It's like something might happen and it's, it's just too much for me. Whether it might, like, I might just be a simple thing. as like, I missed my bus. Yeah. Mm. um another actually one thing that i did see um on tiktok that really really helped me understand people with BPD and myself um is you you know let's say quote unquote normal people or well people or undiagnosed people wake up with their cup like half three quarters of the way full mm. right so you know if something gets thrown in, they have space there to like react to it, to deal with it. You know, it's there. We wake up with our cup all the way full to the brim. So that if something is thrown in there, it's an Overflowed. explosion. I see. Yeah, it I overflows. See. It's what, in whatever way that means. So it's like in a positive way, it's manic. Mm. In a negative way, like... I could act like you know, how I how I respond or how I describe my dark days are like I feel like the person closest to me has just passed away and the feelings that you would get there. Wow. That's what you feel, but the the reasoning for it has actually not happened.
0: Okay. All right. I see. Yeah. Carry on. We'll speed the up a little bit. Yeah, We've got like sorry. five minutes left.
2: <laughs> Three, disturbed patterns of thinking or perception, including stress related paranoia. I would be paranoid that if you're, if you, if you don't respond to my text, I go through all of our conversations and I'm like, what have I done to Debbie?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Extreme paranoia. Um, or like, you know, if you don't show up for my birthday party, I'm like, my friends don't like me anymore. Yeah. Um, Impulsive behavior, which we just talked yeah. about. So risky spending, an impulse to self-harm, um, or sabotaging success by suddenly quitting a good
0: job or ending a positive relationship. Wow. Yeah. Walking away from something that's really good. Yeah. Have you done that? I have.
2: And I've pushed people away because I knew that it was like, it, it was sabotaging it. Like yeah. it was just, yeah. I pushed people away for it. Okay. Um, inappropriate or intense anger, which thank God I do not have, but I have in like when I would be angry, I just cry my eyes out. Um, intense but unstable relationships. I've definitely had that, but I feel like I'm getting better. Uh, fear of abandonment. I don't feel like people are going to leave me. That's, that's the, the fear of abandonment is the main, uh, what word am I looking for? Symptom. Symptom of BPD. People say people with BPD are, are terrified that people are going to leave them. So they're par- they're, to their partners, they're like, don't leave me. And they cling on to them and stuff like that. My version of that is I think that I've always kind of made sure to be with someone, mm. to have someone there. And I think I'm not afraid necessarily of the people leaving, but of me being alone and me by myself. Mm. Suicidal or self-harming behavior, which we spoke about, um, and rapid changes in self-identity and self-image that include shifting goals and value. And I really hate that symptom because people always suggest that the shifting identity or shifting self-image has to do with my style.
0: Yeah. And how I express I myself. Clothes. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. No, that's a long list. But there's such, I'm not saying they're generic symptoms. I understand why, like, there has to be more than a few. Yeah. Wow, that's a lot.
2: But it's hard as well, because when you're doing that by yourself, you know, like, I've read through it with people who haven't been diagnosed with BPD, and they're like, I Um, relate to these. Yeah. It's like, because they're such broad statements.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: And it's been hard for me to be like...
0: Oh, when I have a panic attack because someone's five minutes late, like Mm -hmm. for a meeting. I think it's those extremities that actually then that's why the professional needs to diagnose where it's like, we all feel empty. We all feel that sadness. But what is the trigger? Yeah. You know, but it's like, you know, I would outcome? like for someone to pull
2: me aside and be like, hey, you're having a panic attack because this person's five minutes late because you're BPD. Yeah. Not because of anything else. Not yeah. because this person is, you know, not showing up or you've got the date
0: wrong or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Like it's, it's just this thing and we can deal with it. Yeah. It's like the separation of the brain and the mind. Yeah. Because it's, it's a tough one. It's probably what's going on in my head right now. is like, am I my brain or am I my mind? Yeah. And it's a tough one, but like, I think it's just the beauty of like figuring out life and you're fucking doing it. <laughs> you're <laughs> I'm doing, doing it. my best. Yeah. And yeah. your best is getting you, has gotten you already quite far. And I'm excited to see where you keep going. And yeah, you've done a fucking unreal job, Sam. Honestly, I'm so happy to have you in my life. And um, I'm happy Yours and you mine. Yeah, there you go. Go on. Like uh, I'll just bring you on whenever we need to talk about feelings and stuff. Yeah, yeah. You'll bring just you <laughs> yeah. We'll just tag <laughs> along in each other's life. But yeah, I think uh, I hope that whoever did listen to this get, get or got. Sorry, my England is a little bit bad right now. Um, but yeah, I think you've done an amazing job at inspiring people and educating people on who you are and what you are passionate about thank you. Fucking keep killing it. (laughs) Write a poem about me or something. I will. Thank you. I'll just break your heart first. (laughs) I'll I'll punch you. All you're going
2: to do is not show up for coffee. Sorry.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. True. I just won't show up for coffee or just like say that your cocktails are shite (laughs) and then I'll be on TikTok. There you go. Boom. Thank you everyone for listening. Thank you, Sam. Thank you.